0: Today is the May 8th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is John 6 and the Gospel, Part 2. If you would like to give to our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button in the sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Our reading this morning will be from Psalm 139, uh, verses 8 through 18. So that's Psalm 139, verses 8 through 18. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed me in my inward parts, and you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. "'Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. "'My frame was not hidden from you "'when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought "'in the depths of the earth. "'Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, "'and in your book were all written "'the days that were ordained for me, "'when as yet there was not one of them. "'How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God!' how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just revealing uh, to us more and more about yourself, how awesome you are, all present, all knowing, knitting us in our mother's womb, and just no difference between dark and light, and just so much to learn about you. We thank you for that pleasure, Lord, and help us open our our minds, our hearts, to understand from your word today that we might come to uh, just grow in our walk with you and be more and more like your son and uh, just to be one that can love you and love our neighbor as ourself, Father. Uh, We desire that. We praise you that you've chosen us and want us to be your children of light, and just uh, ask you to use this day for eternity in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good to see you all on this Lord's Day, also this Mother's Day. I think of that one verse in Ephesians six: "As honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you." And it's 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 it, we all know that you know if you're a little child, you should do that. Of course, if you're an adult and you have a a parent who's still alive, you should do that. That's what God wants us to do, to honor them uh, for who they are and what they've done and means through all the years. And in, and of course, to honor is a big word. It can look like a lot of things in terms of just talking to them and praying for them and loving them in different ways or helping them out or serving them. And it's an important thing uh, that we honor parents. And mothers today is what we were thinking about. I wanted that... Section in Psalm 139 to be read because of today, but also because of what's happened this past week. Some of you are aware of the Supreme Court decision that might be coming out. But and a lot of discussion about this pro life movement. I'm not going to say much about it, but I love those verses because those verses in Psalm 139 make it clear that, that, that God is <laughs> building a child in his mother's womb. And and then I like that verse. All the days ordained for me—it's it's it's for a purpose. There's a reason. Uh, but the one verse I like that sums it up very well. It's the Jeremiah one five verse, and 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 God is talking to Jeremiah. It says, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you." You know, so he before, he knew him. I mean, way back in eternity past, he knew who was going to be alive, and and no has the idea of a relationship. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Then the next phrase says, before you were born, I set you apart. I believe that means in eternity past too, he knew the plans that he had for Jeremiah and for all people. And then the next phrase says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That is the way God makes us, and that means physically, mentally, emotionally, every which way inside the mother's womb, relates then to the purpose that he has for us in 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 life. It's it's very very encouraging thing. But 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 that the truth of life is 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 really it's a miracle. And I, I'm not I'm not one who knows anatomy or physiology very well, but but it's still the few things I hear and read about what God does and what people are like and how he makes it. It's just amazing. It's just incredible as human beings, the most complex, the most special being in all the world, and then, of course, we are ones who are made in the image of God. So it's a very, very special thing. Today, of course, we're not talking about physical life. We're talking about spiritual life, and I I say spiritual life in in a very general way, but as we go through this and it relates to our messages in the past, it it definitely is what is spiritual life, and and, and people in the world, they love all kinds of things— Things that they think will make them happy and will satisfy them that will, quote, give them life. We talk about there's food and alcohol and drugs. People think about these things or focus on these things. There's work and money and relationships. There's, there's pets. There's music. There's movies. All kinds of things that people love. And, and, and the Bible's clear. We see that one of the primary themes in the Bible is we're not to love these things in the world, we're rather to love God and then be satisfied by him and by his love for us. And what each of us need, each person needs, is a relationship with God whereby then we love him, whereby we know his love, and whereby then he is the one who meets our spiritual needs. Let's turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, 35 and 40. We looked at this last time, but I would just do a little review, then we'll continue on in the... John chapter 6. John 6, verses 35 to 40. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who below he beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So here is Jesus. He is God. He's the Son of God. And he says very clearly in that verse there, he says, I am the bread of life. That means very simply, he's our spiritual food. He's the one who meets our spiritual needs. He's the one who wants to satisfy our soul. He wants to satisfy our spirit. What I want to do now is just sum up some of these things that we talked about last time, just some of the main points here. But first of all, from these verses, Jesus is the bread of life. He is our spiritual food. He is the one who meets our needs, and there is no one else, and there is nothing else that can meet our spiritual needs. It is Jesus Christ alone, because he is then the bread of life. Secondly, the way to know Jesus and be satisfied by him is to come to him and to seek him and to believe him and to trust him. It's a relationship. It's by faith. That's what it is. Third third are the ones who come to Jesus... And believe in him are the ones, and this is important, the ones that the Father gives to Jesus. And what that means then is God chooses those who are going to come to Jesus and believe in him. It says it says in Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us and him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Very important truth. sometimes confusing. Well, first we believe in Jesus, but yet he chooses who believes. How does that work? Well, we're not going to talk about that now, but that's the truth. He chooses those who will come to him and those then who will believe in him. Fourth, we see Jesus, God's son, does his father's will. God sent his son down to this earth to carry out a purpose, and Jesus Primary purpose when he was on earth here was to die on the cross, to pay for our sins so we could be righteous, so we could be forgiven, so we could have eternal life, which is etern- an eternal, eternally satisfying relationship with God the Father and with Jesus the Son. That's what he wants for us. Then it says, and it says it twice, Jesus will raise us up on the last day. The last day referring to when Jesus Christ comes back, and on that day then he will glorify all believers, those from the past, those in the presence who are on earth at that time. He'll give us a brand new body, one that is just like Jesus. It says it very simply in First John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That's one way to talk about having a glorified body, that we will be like him. The body that he has, we will have a body like that. Very encouraging. We continue on then in John 6. Let's read for, we're going to read 41 to 51. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. just want to go through a number of points from these verses here. First of all, he's teaching them the truth. And we see specifically, we read those first few verses that he came down out of heaven the Jews didn't like what he said for by saying that he was implying if not stating that he was God they didn't want to hear that from him so they're grumbling they're murmuring they're complaining they can't believe that they didn't believe he came out of heaven they were saying it says in the text here among themselves well, his parents we know his parents is son of Joseph he's got physical parents we know who his parents are we know where they're from this Nazareth we know all these things and yet this Jesus says He came from heaven. So they're thinking on a physical level. They're not thinking a spiritual level at all, and they can't grasp it, but the main thing is they not want to believe that Jesus, in fact, was God in the flesh. That is the point here. That's they were upset about that. Now verse 30, go back to verse 33, "For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then verse 38, says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we see here that Jesus is repeating this truth that he came out of heaven. And that's because it is such an important point. Because Jesus was, again, establishing the fact that he was God in the flesh. Was God, is God, always will be God. That's what he was doing. And this is very important to understand. Because, again, this is one of the primary themes in the whole Gospel of John. Jesus showing himself, proving himself. All these different witnesses were saying that, yes, Jesus is God in the flesh. And the reason it's important is this. We live in this culture where people are, well, I believe this and I believe that. You know, I I don't believe in God. I do believe in God. It's like people are, quote, free to think however they want. I get tired of people saying I'm free to do whatever I want. Okay? that's sort of an overused word. Jesus says he's God. And he says a lot of things in here. He tells us to do a lot of things. And if people don't do what Jesus says, if they don't believe what he says, it is to their own peril. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the living God. He has all power, all authority, and he is telling the truth. And for people in life, and you know people like this, I'm sure you do, that are flippantly saying, well, I don't really believe in God, or I'm not really sure. I'm not sure about this Jesus. (laughs) They better wake up before it's too late. Jesus is God. He is telling us the truth time and time and time again. He's telling people what they need to do. He tells people, you need to believe in me and be saved or else that's it. And so he has authority because of who he is and because of what he has done. So again, he's establishing this truth. So how do the Jews then respond to the, how, did, how does Jesus respond to these Jews? Verse 43, he says, do not grumble among yourselves. Grumbling is talking in, in, in a way you can barely hear them. They're murmuring. They're complaining to themselves. They're not saying it out loud, but Jesus, of course, knew what they are doing. And by grumbling, by grumbling, they're questioning him. They're not believing him. They're not believing that he is telling the truth. They are saying then that he is a liar. That's, in effect, what's going on. And so from these verses then, 35 and 40, these other verses we read, we know Jesus told the people then to believe in him. And if they believe in him, then they will have eternal life. They will have their spiritual needs satisfied. They will never, ever thirst. But what else does he say? Go back to verse 44. No one can come to the Father, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I I, I talked about this briefly last week, but I just want to share a few more things about it. Jesus is saying. That you can't come to him and you can't believe in him unless the Father enables you to come to him and believe in him. That's what we're saying. So Jesus, all the time, we might say to this people, you need to put your faith in Christ. You need to trust him, believe in him. They can't do it. A person can't do it on his own power. He's told to do it. God the Father must enable him. So Jesus uses this word draw. To make this point clear, it's just a word that means to enable to move inside a person to help them come to Jesus. That's what it is. And so no person then can come to the Father unless Jesus draws them. That's all we're saying here. That is coming to Jesus, come to Jesus and being saved is not... A work of man, but rather it's a work of God. Very, very simple. That's that's it. Salvation is not about what man does, but what about God does. If a person then comes to Jesus and believes in Jesus and is then one who is saved, it's not by his own power, it's not by his own efforts. Salvation is by a power outside ourselves. You know, you all understand, you know, you got this body, you got this brain, you're thinking about things, you're trying to figure things out. The power to save. Person, yourself, anybody else, doesn't come from within; it comes from without, and it's by the Spirit of God, it's by the grace of God. That's what we need to see and understand. And so, a person who's not saved—let me give you a, just a few phrases that sum up the condition of the unbelieving person. It's not good. Ephesians two one says he's spiritually dead. Ezekiel eighteen four says this, his soul is spiritually dead. John eight thirty four says he's a slave to un. Righteousness. Colossians 1 13 says he is in the domain of darkness. Colossians 1 says he's alienated from God. Second Corinthians 4 4 says he is spiritually blind. Romans 8 verse 8 says he is unable to please God. And then you have 1 John 3 verse 10 that says he is a child of the devil. So again, back to what I said before, here's Jesus saying you need to wake up, you need to get saved because if not, you're going to remain in this condition. It's a very sobering thing, what he is saying here. That, and then it makes sense when you think about this. A person can't save himself if he's spiritually dead. Can a spiritually, a physically dead person cause himself to rise again? You know that can't happen. It can't. A person who's spiritually blind, who's spiritually dead, who's 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 alienated from God, who's trapped. In the devil's kingdom cannot, in any way shape or form, save himself. That's the point. It's what God's got to do. A person can't save himself. Jesus said that man, god God must draw a person to himself. God must open that person's eyes. God must enable that person then to see his sin and have faith in Jesus for forgiven. That's what he must do. You' all know the story about Jonah, It's a great little story, those four chapters back in the Old Testament. Chapter 1, of course, is about how Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He flees, you know, he gets out of there, and, of course, we know what happened. He gets thrown into the water, and a big fish swallows him. Chapter 2 is is, is classic. It's the prayer. It's when he's in this belly of this whale or big fish, whatever it was. He's in there, and he's praying to God. And 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 bottom line, end result is God <laughs> spits him out. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing. But verse 9 is, is a real key phrase there because... I mean, you think about Jonah. I don't know if he was thinking, man, how can I get out of here? Is there any way I think I can do, you know, to get out of this belt? And he, and he said no in verse 9, because he, there he says, salvation is from the Lord. That's it. He knew that his deliverance from the belly of that fish was all of God. The same thing we could say for our salvation, spiritually speaking. Salvation is from the Lord, period. That's it. Nothing that I can do but what he must do in me, working in my heart and working in my spirit. How then does God specifically draw a person to Christ? What does He do? He does it. He draws and saves a person by the power of the Spirit. I mentioned this before. That before you're saved, God is working in our hearts. It may be over a period of a day or a month or a year or five. But you can just sense the Spirit of God is working in us. Some of us, some some people also call that the specific call of God. God is calling you. You'll read this verse in the Bible, God calls people to himself, and as that working of God through the Holy Spirit before a person is saved, he's drawing them to himself, then he enables them to get saved. So it's by the power of the Spirit, we understand from John 3, uh, the Nicodemus, he, Jesus talking says, you need to be born again, born by the Spirit. God saves us by the grace of God, we've mentioned this verse in the past, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you are saved through faith. By grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. That is the faith and the grace to get saved is all of God because all of salvation, the whole salvation package, if we can say it that way, is from God. Finally, he saves us by his truth. You know the verse, John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To be saved, a person has to understand the truth about who he is and the gospel and what Jesus did. He has to. He has, that's, that's the way it has to happen. And this verse 45, they shall all be taught of God, is from an Old Testament verse. And the, the point there is that all those who are truly taught by God are ones then who are going to get saved. That, that's, that's what he's saying there. That's what he wants to understand. God teaches us, and then we can get saved. So Jesus is saying for a person to be saved, he must hear and know the truth from God. And that then is through the working of the Holy Spirit in his heart. John 5 24 says, He who hears my word and believes, hear both those words, he hears my word and believes in him who sent me. Mark 4 20 says, They hear the word and accept it. To be saved, we have to know and believe the truth about who Jesus is that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is a Savior, and believe what he did. Two things believe who he is and what he did, and then we can be saved. That's, that's it. So the person that is drawn by God and comes to Jesus, knows and believes the truth about Jesus, and then is one who's saved, and then is one who receives eternal life. Turn to John. gonna look at John 6.46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. A little debate about this. The, the question is, will any of us here... As physical human beings, as Christians, will we actually able, be able to see God the Father? I don't believe that we can. I believe this verse says that we can't. No human being, no person born of man and woman can actually ever see the living God. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 1 Timothy 1.17 says now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever." So God the Father is invisible. And the only one who has seen him or ever will see them is Jesus, is the Son of God, the one who was sent by his Father then down to this earth. And one of the reasons then well, that Jesus came down to this earth was to reveal God to man. Here is Jesus. He became a man. He became a man so he could reveal God to man. That's, that's what we did. He did. John one nineteen. Turn there. John you know, John one eighteen. says the same thing that we can't see God no one has seen God at any time the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father that's Jesus he has explained him I've had to look at the Greeks here. I like that he explained him <laughs> it's through Jesus that we understand who he is that verse in John fourteen nine 9 is, is a very interesting verse says it simply Jesus says he who has seen me has seen the Father and, and he's not talking in a literal sense but, but you can know him because I'm just like the Father, He had the same character. He is God in the flesh. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so we we can't actually, I believe, ever visibly see the Father, but the the, the Son of God he enables us to spiritually see him and to know him, and then to come to know him. It says John fourteen six I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so then Jesus tells us about the Father. Jesus, of course, had been in heaven since eternity past. Now at this time when he's talking, he's on earth. And, and then he's going to do the work of God when he's on earth. Now we know, of course, he ascended back into heaven this about 2,000 years ago. And that's where he's at. And so John 6, 45, let's continue on looking at these verses here in John. It is written in the prophets and that they shall all be taught of God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, comes to me. So the Father then teaches a person the truth about the Jesus. And I just said this, but all the people then who are taught of God then are ones who come to Jesus and believe in him. Again, this is an important point that you cannot understand God on your own. You can't understand the gospel. You must be taught of God. And so then, then Jesus tells us about God the Father who is in heaven, who is invisible, And of course, is his own father. And so Jesus is on this earth then is the one who came down here to save us from our sins. John 6 47 says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. We see we see here that the person who believes what the Father has said about the Son, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He is a Savior. And knows what he did. This one, then, is the one who's saved. This is the one who has eternal life. And I, I mentioned this in the past. I want to say this again. Is that we talk about the gospel there's, there's, and the results. The results of the gospel, there's two primary aspects. We're saved from our sin. We are saved from death. We are saved from hell. We are saved from the devil. We're delivered. We're rescued. And we are given eternal life. All these other things. And I could go on and give you so many of the things that benefits of being a Christian. We'll be in heaven. We'll be glorified. We'll be a Jesus forever. So we're saved from one thing. We were in spiritual debt. Now, man, we got our account is so full and so rich. And and what I said to you, I want you to understand this, is the Gospel of John, unlike any other gospel or any other book, just keeps talking and talking and talking about what God gives us. Okay, so we talked about the living water in John 4. We're talking about the, the bread of life here. We'll talk about living water in John 7. We'll talk about the Holy One. and uh, He's the light of the world. Just so many things he gives us. It's an important because, again, sometimes, and I was thinking this myself, sometimes I think in my mentality as a Christian through the years, I've thought, well, I need to tell people what they need to do so they can be forgiven, so they can be saved from their sin. That's true. But what you see Jesus doing here is emphasizing, I want to give you this life. And he talks about sin in John 4 to the lady there, the sinful lady. But he doesn't dwell on it. And I'm not saying he should or shouldn't. I'm just saying what you see the focus is on the gospel of John is what God wants to give us, this new life. And I think it's important that we think about people and sharing the gospel, that we think about God wants to give us his life. And that's what he is hammering on, hammering on Jesus in here in this gospel. And so verse 47 we see then the, the simplicity of 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 salvation. If you if you believe in Jesus, if you look to him, you trust in him, you're saved. So on one hand it's simple, but as we're talking about here through the, the weeks and a few weeks more to go here, there's a little bit of complexity too. It is on one hand very simple, and he says it really simple there. You believe, you have eternal life. Okay? Now uh this, this word believe is in the present tense very important to see this. I mean, so many people get messed up thinking you can't even know if you're saved till you physically die, which is the kind of church I was raised in. This verse counters that. It it, it says that's wrong. He who believes has eternal life. Believes is present tense, which means at the very point that you believe, at that time then you are forgiven. You have eternal life. You're righteous in the sight of God. At that point, you're born again, just like a, a little baby has got that birthday, you know, um, who is it, Carla and Jorge, they had the little baby last Wednesday, okay, 7 in the morning, Matthias is the name. His birthday, he's born, okay, he's alive. That's, that's what we un- understand. By say, saying truly, truly, Jesus, again, being emphatic, that's what it means to say truly, truly, he's being emphatic, he's making it clear that salvation is nothing that we can do, but it's only what Jesus does for us. It's not by any works. And I say this, and we have to emphasize this, because the majority of people in the world who are of some religious nature go to some church or some synagogue or temple or whatever, believe in works. This is not it. It's not what a person does. It's not by going to church. It's not by giving money. It's not by being a, quote, good person. It's not by some ritual. None of these things. None, none, none. And this truth is mentioned again and again. It's, again, we see stated here by Jesus. Now, verse 48 Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says this again. He's declaring it. So from verses 46 and 47 and then 48, now understand this, what he's doing is he's equating having eternal life with having the bread of life. That's what he's doing. If you have the bread of life, you've got eternal life. If you've got eternal life, you've got the bread of life. That's what we see here. He's putting all the same page. And so... And again, he's talking about the bread of life. We talked about this last week. And that culture back then is is bread was the most common food. I mean, they ate all kinds of things, but bread was what they had every day, two or three meals a day. Just like if you're in a Hispanic culture, they would say their number one food is what? It's rice. Rice. I asked Giovanni about this. He says, do you guys have rice three meals a day? Oh, sometimes. Usually at least two. Sometimes. And this is more the old school Hispanic, I mean, because a young... It's Teenage Hispanic, he's probably into more American food. But if you're older, Hispanic, man, you got that rice, okay? Bread was the common food. He was one to understand that just like you need bread, physical bread, every day to live, so you need bread. That is me all the time. So he declares that he's the um, bread of life. He's also saying that having eternal life isn't a one-time thing. This is important to understand. The about eternal life is not like a person says, oh, I got saved. I have eternal life, and I can just go on and live and do whatever I want. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Eternal life is to be a daily thing where you are truly living and experiencing the life of God because you are being spiritually nourished by Jesus. You are feeding on the bread of life. Eternal life is to be an everyday relationship with God. We, we've talked in the past. We mentioned Enoch other verses talk about walking with God and and that's what we're saying here. God wants us to, to walk with him, to walk with him to experience this eternal life, to feed on this bread of life so we can truly live. That's what we're saying. I mean there's sometimes you've heard this where people will say, man that guy is such a such a fanatic about God. We should be. It's not just a once-a-week thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing, or just when I read my Bible. It should be an all-the-time, everyday thing. That's what we need to understand here. And so Jesus is the bread of life. And so every day of your life and for all eternity, that is this life and the next, Jesus is your spiritual food, your spiritual nourishment, the means then by which you can have this relationship with Him. John six, forty-nine to fifty-one. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He explains more about this bread of life when he talks about this manna. We all know the story about the manna. Back in the Old Testament times, you had no Moses with the Jews out there in the desert. For 40 years, he had manna. I would have loved to, maybe in heaven we'll taste some, but I would have loved to taste that manna. It had to have been good food. I mean, this was sent from heaven. Good food, nutritious food, you know, I mean. And they may have complained some about eating it, but it was good stuff. They had it, and it kept them going for all those years. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, is he's living bread. And by saying he's living bread, he's saying he is spiritual bread, unlike this manna, which was physical bread. He wanted them to get the picture I'm not not talking about me physically. I'm talking about me spiritually. I'm spiritual bread. I'm spiritual food. And by eating this living bread, they'd be spiritually sustained and nourished and strengthened. They would spiritually live. That's what he's saying. And not just for 40 years, but for all eternity. So this living bread, then, was the means by which they could have this eternal life. So we see this equating, this putting together, living bread, eternal life, and living bread was the means. So again, eternal life isn't something you have and then forget. Eternal life means you're continually thinking about Jesus being filled up with this spiritual bread and therefore have this daily, this active, this spiritual, this powerful, this purposeful, meaningful relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what it means. You really are living. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I came that you might have life. And have it to the full. And again, not just a once-in-a-while thing. I really want you to be living. And it's supposed to be every day. It's, it's, it's a purposeful, meaningful relationship with Jesus and God. So he, what he says there, too, he says, says of anyone, verse fifty, anyone eats other bread. So he's saying, this is for anyone. And this is important. If you think about your life or think about people, you know, that aren't saved, this is for anyone, and sometimes we think about people we know and say, "Ah, oh, that person's too far gone to ever get saved. It's for anyone. If anyone, as long as a person is alive, at least from our perspective on this planet Earth, we know that they can get saved. We should always think that. If anyone, any individual person. But he also wants us to know that, that he is available for people in the whole world. That's why that verse we know, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. And so Jesus then says that he is the bread and he's for anyone. I, I, I want you to go, um, well, let's go to Philippians. But I want to say this again because Philippians chapter 4. People in the world, and even as Christians, we can go after so many things, thinking that these things will satisfy us and make us happy. It's an intriguing thing to me. Um, uh, I, I go. I've gone to the restaurant and I, I I've seen a, three or four people sitting there. You know, and they're waiting for their food and they're all on their smartphones. That's yeah, sort of strange. Why don't they talk to each other? You know, or, or I'm at a stoplight. This happened many times. I'm, I'm number two at a stoplight. The light turns green <clears throat> and Marcia sort of, you know, says, "Don't honk." Don't, don't. I'm sitting there. But I got I got a three-second rule, then I will. Maybe it's two. I can't remember. I do. Because there's maybe 10 cars behind me, and I'm trying to think, not just myself, but the people behind me. I says, I, I have to believe that person is probably on a smartphone. You know, or I go with some line, maybe the post office, maybe any line. Most people there are looking at the smartphone. I says, well, what's on this smartphone? Do I need the smartphone? I mean, i got a flip phone yet. i It's old-fashioned, but I don't think I really need it. You know, I mean, I know it can be useful. I know it can be a good tool, but what's going on here? I mean... You know this. There's a lot of people out there. they didn't have their smartphone for maybe half a day, they'd be really hurting. They'd be really hurting. And so we love these things in the world, and it's just not right. Philippians 4, very important verses in this context. I want you to see this. Now, Philippians 4, when Paul writes this, where is he at? Physically at. He's in jail. He's in jail. What's he say? Verse 11. Not that I speak from want... I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Powerful. I don't know where you're all at. I don't think I'm quite there yet. I don't know if I can say that. I think I'm growing. But to say I'm content all the time, no matter what is going on, he continues, I know how to get along with humble means. You know, being in jail, I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So what's the secret? It's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's my relationship with God, with Jesus. That's it. This is really important. And it relates directly to what we're saying today. For you to really have life, to be have abundant life, to be filled up with life and not be you know upset or mad or and learn to be content, it's this relationship with God that He wants for you. He wants it for every single one of us. Sometimes you think I'm a nobody. I got too bad of a pastor, or whatever. Hey, no. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants you to have this life, this satisfying, this wonderful life all the time. That's what he wants for you. So continue on. Back to John, we'll finish up this section here. John 6, verse 52. 52 to 58. And what you see here, and, and sometimes I it's hard for me to teach because I said, Man, I think I, I taught on this last week or maybe three weeks ago. But Jesus keeps repeating himself. He keeps repeating himself. And and partly relates to he's with different crowds of people, so we hear a very similar thing. Part of it relates to he knew that most people, a lot of people in the world would have this Bible in front of them and would read chapter 4 and read chapter 5 and chapter 6, and the repetition then was very, very important. Let's read verses 52 to 58. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were thinking in a physical way, which I'll say this. (laughs) Back when I was seven or eight, I got did my first communion as a Catholic. And way back then, you know, and maybe some of you are like this, raised this way too, is that there's is, is this little host, and they said, this is actually the body of Christ. I could never figure that out because, you know, I, I'd go to Mass a lot. I'd go every Sunday. I remember one year in grade school, I went every day, 180 days of the year, the school year. I says, Jesus isn't big enough. Because you got these masses all over. They're all over the world. I mean, they're every day. This can't be. I'm just a little eight-year-old kid trying to figure this out. I couldn't figure it out. But that's how they think. That's why I've told you before, you know, go to the Catholic Church, they have the little tabernacle up there, and that's actually the body of Christ in that that tabernacle. Anyway... um, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 33, so Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me." This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So so they're they're saying in verse 32, how can he give us his flesh to eat? He hammers the point. He doesn't back off. Well, no, hey, you got to eat me, my flesh and my blood. We know in Leviticus 17 talks about how life is in the blood. So he was saying, you have to to eat of my flesh. Spiritually speaking, of course, drink of my blood. Spiritually speaking, of course. But what he was trying to say, and this is to emphasize the point I just made, is that you need all of me all the time to really have an abundant life. You need all of who I am, all of what I say, all of what I do. You need my spirit, and you need my love, and you need my promises. You need everything to live. And so when you go to the Bible... You'll find all these different passages that talk about, man, it's like a, a standalone passage. This is how you can really live. And, and they're all complementing each other in terms to really have life, to have an abundant life. It relates to having Jesus, and there's different things that are said. And so, like here, again, the truly, truly appears in verse 53. Again, emphasizing the point that Jesus himself is, 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 is God. And he's telling the truth. And he's given them the God-given truth. Secondly, he says that people need to eat this bread, drink this blood, and he's talking spiritually, of course. And again, we're talking about life. I mentioned that verse, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Galatians 2.20 is another one of those big verses. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but, but, but the, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he says there too, Christ lives in me. And so that's another way to talk about having life. You have life if Christ is spiritually living in you. It says in Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That's another one. Power through the spirit, your inner being, so that Christ may live in you. This Turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Another one of these, and, and there are really a lot more, but I'm just trying to give you a few of the examples. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Second Peter 1, 2 to 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That, that phrase sort of says it there, too. The knowledge of God, a spiritual knowledge of God, not just mental, but in your heart. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. All that you need to live every day of the week, morning, noon, and night, any situation, whoever it might be, any relationship, any trial, whatever, it's right here. Through the true knowledge, everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory, and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, a little emphasis on promises, that promises are one of the key means by which you can have this life. There's other things you need. You need the Holy Spirit, you need truth, but you need promises. For by his promises, magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I mean, I love that phrase. As Christians, we are to partake of the divine nature. That's what we're saying. That's what it means to have living bread. That's what it means to have the living water in us. That's what we're talking about. Having life. That's 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 the whole point here. And so, to have a close walk with God, to be and do all that He wants, you need Jesus every day. And what Jesus does sometimes is sometimes He will remind us that we need Him. Okay, I mean, middle of the night last night I wake up my. Big toe hurts, okay. I don't want to explain why. There's a story behind it, but it hurts. Oh man. God help me get back to sleep because my toe hurts. And so anyway, you need him all the time. And he does things to remind you. You all know you've been reminded this week something's happened, some situation, or some problem, or trial, or whatever, or some verse from the Bible has reminded you that you need him all the time. Again. Jesus says this. He says it what, three or four times as this passage. He'll raise people up on the last day. That is the day when Christ comes back. On that day, he will glorify all believers. He'll give them a brand new body, one that is just like Christ. Philippians 3.21 says it this way. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. What a great promise. We all have weak bodies. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. That is what he will do. Again, he says that he says that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood are abiding. This is, look at verse um, 58. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Very interesting. You know why? That takes you right to John 15. You know, the vine and the branches? You know, well, let's go there real quick, just a couple minutes. John 15, verse 3. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the true vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So seven different times in the few verses here, he used the word abide. So the word just means remain, to be spiritually connected. And, and, and so the means then by which we can really have this life, this this, this bread in us is by abiding, by remaining. It relates to trusting. It means to looking and depending. It has the element of of faith. But the idea of abide is often translated as remain. Again, it's it's a continual relationship. And this is one thing God's teaching you to have this relationship with him that continues. You all had times of the Lord and, and, and boy, that was an encouraging time to the Lord. Then you go off and five minutes later you're out of the spirit, so to speak. Man, what happened? what happened to me, you know? So so God's trying to help us to have this continuity of relationship with him. And the idea is learning to abide in him. And he connects it here with verse 56 in this bread. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That is a key to abiding then, is to be looking to Jesus, to be dependent on, be feeding on him and who he is. That's what he wants for us. And so, again, we see he contrasts this with manna. Tell them that who, he who eats this bread, and it's so encouraging, will live forever. Will have eternal life, will forever then experience the life of God. So he, he keeps repeating, he keeps hammering this point, this phrase, life, and it goes on. You go back to John 3 and the example there of Nicodemus, and he, he talks about being born again. He talks about eternal life in that context there. And Nicodemus was a rich man. I believe he got saved. You go to John 4, what do you have? A sinful woman, man. Opposite of the spectrum, sinful. Married five times, living with the sick man, she gets saved. She has eternal life. You go to John five, and then you have this lame man, this sick man. I believe he gets saved. He's healed physically. I believe he got spiritually healed as well. So you have the Nicodemus, and you have this sinful woman, you have the, the sick man, and then you come to John six and 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 Jesus is there, and what we see in, in John six is he's talking to a crowd of people, and that's what he's doing. So so this life, it's, it's, it's for everyone. That's the idea. Not that everybody gets saved, but that's who it's for. Let's finish two verses, John 6.32, which we've looked at before, but just to go back, sum up. 6.32 and 6.33, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Love that. For God so loved the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you. These truths, Lord, that maybe some ways hard to understand, I pray, God, you would, by your spirit, God, by your mercy, help us to understand these and apply these to our lives. Help, help us to see that as we might oftentimes... Seek things in the world that is just empty. Lord, I just pray that you would help us be ones who learn how to come to you and to feed on you. To, it relates to your word. It relates to faith. It relates to being filled up with the Holy Spirit, Lord. It relates just to being obedient, doing the things you say, whether it's to rejoice and pray and give thanks. In First Thessalonians 5, so many thoughts here. Promises or means to having this life we saw in Second Peter chapter 1. I just, just pray you should help us. As it says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you to will and for his good pleasure. So, Lord, help us to do the things that we know to do, Lord. And then you, of course, are the ones that you're working in our hearts, both for the the having the right attitude, the right motive, and also then the work that we need to do as well. We thank you again for each one here. Thank you for those listening online. We know, God, that you are always with us. We heard the word from Psalm 139, a great example of that. You're with us wherever we go. And thank you that as we leave here today, we fellowship first and leave here. God, you're with us. And I just pray that more and more that we would be once walking with you, Lord Jesus, with you, Heavenly Father. Pray more and more that you would fill us up with your life, be filled up with the Spirit. What another way to say that. That's what we ask. We want this. We desire this. And sometimes our flesh fights, and I just pray you just help us to be overcomers, of whether it's the world or the flesh or even the devil, too. But Thank you again for this church here, for each one. Lead us in all that you have for us, in our ministries, Lord, and in our witness, Lord, our families, uh, Lord, relationships to just help us to, again, be and do all that you want. Use us, God, then for your purposes and for your glory.